It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Glad to have you listening in a second consecutive victory Monday. First time we've gotten to do that this season. The Seahawks had not won back-to-back games Throughout the entire 2020 season, that was one of the reasons they went into this weekend with a 4-8 and eight record, barely clinging to their playoff lives. They've still kept those hopes intact with a second consecutive win. Still three games number 500, but just one game out of the final wildcard spot in the NFC with four games left to play. Of course, a big game coming up now against the Rams in Los Angeles next Sunday. Absolutely got to have that game if the Seahawks have any intention of somehow climbing back into the postseason for a fourth consecutive season and a ninth time in 10 years. Going to be breaking that game down. And of course, like we do every Monday, tackling your questions on our Monday mailbag segment. So let's get to it. Glad to have you listening in as always. And thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks improving to 5-8 and eight in the season with their second consecutive victory, beating the Texans 33-13. Kind of a sluggish start. They actually were trailing 7-3 after one quarter. Fans were probably thinking, here we go again. It's been that kind of season for the Seahawks, but they were able to right the ship and dominated the last three quarters of play, ended up with a 20-point victory. That being said, the day ended on a somber note for Pete Carroll's team. You never wish injuries on anyone, but there's one particular injury that really fits the word gruesome. And unfortunately, a Seahawks player suffered that injury late in the game. And the player that it happened to, again, you don't wish this on anybody, but Gavin Heslop, second season in the league, former undrafted free agent signee out of Stony Brook, a tiny FCS school, doesn't have very many players that have made it to the NFL from Stony Brook. Ends up finally getting promoted to the 53-man roster. He's been called up a few times from the practice squad, but after Jamal Adams ended up on injured reserve this past week, they called Heslop up because he's gotten some work at safety. He's also played outside corner. He's worked some at slot corner going back to training camp. So he's really added versatility to his game. And this is a kid that's got some length. He's capable of coming up and hitting people has good athleticism. The Seahawks have been really excited about his development. So I know Pete Carroll, Ken Norton Jr. and company 
They were excited for this kid to get his chance, and they really needed the depth this weekend. Quandre Diggs was questionable going into the game with a calf issue, ended up starting, played most of the game. But with the Seahawks up 20 points late in the fourth quarter, they started to sub some players out. And with Diggs not being 100%, they took him out at the end of the game. And you don't have Jamal Adams, now Ryan Neal's in the starting lineup. Ugo Amadi is the only other player that's got experience playing safety. So they ended up plugging in Heslop in the last possession of the game. And he was going to make a play against Nico Collins, rookie receiver out of Michigan. And when Collins was coming down to the ground, landed on Heslop's left leg, it was one of those you just have to look away from the TV footage when it happens. I don't know how I got through watching it once. It was gruesome to watch. But his left leg just snapped. You could tell instantly that this was a very serious injury by the reaction of the players around him. And it looked like the cart was coming out in the field before he even hit the ground. That's how bad this was. And you could just see all the players for both teams that were huddled up around him and coming up and, and wishing him well. It was just a really, really ugly scene. And you got to feel bad for this kid because, again, this was his shot. When you're talking about undrafted rookies coming from small schools like that, that are on the practice squad for a year and a half, and they're just trying to bide their time. You know, this is his chance. This is Gavin Heslop's opportunity to impress. And just a few plays into his drive that he finally gets to play some safety, suffers this brutal injury. So they carted him off the field. He spent last night in a hospital in Houston, had surgery this morning for a broken tibia and a broken fibula. So about as bad as it can get with a broken ankle. For Gavin Heslop, successful surgery. It's going to be a long road to recovery. So all of us here at Locked on Seahawks wishing Gavin the best. I've had a chance to speak with him a few times uh, during a preseason and training camp. Really well-grounded kid that this is just his opportunity. So you got to feel really, you got to feel really bad. And I know my heart was down in my throat after seeing him go down because this was his chance. This was his opportunity. And hopefully he'll be able to make a full recovery from this injury and make it back onto the field for the Seahawks. Still a very young player. If he can make a full recovery, maybe next year he can play his way onto the 53-man roster coming out of training camp. He was pretty close this time around and didn't quite work out, but did really well in the practice squad. It's shown a lot of improvement. So that was a difficult injury to watch. Two other injuries that happened in the game. Brian Monet, one of Seattle's key defensive tackles, he was dealing with a knee issue throughout the week, but ended up playing in this game, injured his other knee in the second quarter when they were defending the goal line. Carroll said that it's a PCL sprain, so it could have been worse. We could have been talking ACL, could have been a full tear. But they don't know if he's going to be available this weekend against the Rams or not. They're going to be playing this out day by day to see how he recovers. But he had to be carted off the sideline after gingerly walking off the field. And it didn't look good after the game. It didn't sound good either because Carroll didn't have much to offer other than saying it's a knee sprain. But luckily, it looks like he's avoided significant injury. Maybe they can get him back on Sunday. Maybe he's only out one week and he can return in week 16. But they're going to need him because they don't have a lot of depth at defensive tackle, particularly at the nose tackle position. Another position that doesn't have much depth, especially with Heslop being a corner first before being a safety the Seahawks don't have much depth at a cornerback position. And another scary injury that happened late in the fourth quarter, DJ Reed colliding with Texans tight end, Brevin Jordan out in the middle of the field. And he was down writhing in pain. It looked like it was a significant injury. 
suffered a chest contusion. Carroll said it looks like he's going to be okay, though. So it sounds like he should be able to play on Sunday, barring any setbacks. Should be ready for the Rams. They're going to need him going against Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. and company. Rams just beating the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. So they're going to be coming in on a high note here going up against their division rivals. Still thinking they got a shot to win the NFC West division. So a lot at stake for both of these teams. The Seahawks luckily will have DJ Reed. They're hoping to have Brian Monet. Not any other injuries. So, yes, the Heslip one stinks. It was a significant one. And heart just aches for the kid. But Seahawks luckily got out of the game without any other significant injuries. Look, they're going to keep players out for a long time. So they should be fairly close to full strength going up against the Rams on Sunday. Going to get to your questions here in a moment. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends logging for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, as we do each and every Monday here on the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, I get your questions before the show, answer as many as I can. So let's get to it. First one coming from Seattle Zombie Tweets. Who is a sleeper AFC and NFC team that has a chance to make it to the playoffs and win a playoff game this year? So I actually had to put a lot more thought into this than I usually do because this, you know, we talk about parity in the NFL a lot, but this year is crazy, especially in the NFC where you've got a number of teams like the Seahawks, for example. They're five and eight, but they are one game out of a playoff spot. That is unheard of. And in the AFC, you might have a team with 10 or 11 wins that doesn't make the playoffs. It's just been one of those really unbalanced seasons where the AFC has been significantly better. You can make an argument that the top teams in the NFC might be the best in the league, but the AFC is a much deeper conference this year. And so that made it a little bit tough. And it's really, it's one of those years where it's tough to tell if there really is a legitimate top dog that's the favorite to win the Super Bowl. I thought for a while maybe the Chargers were a team that might be sneaking up and be able to do that, but they've lost some games they shouldn't have. Still a young team with a second-year quarterback. So as far as surprise teams go, I'm actually going to stay in the AFC West, but I'm going to go with the Denver Broncos, and they're coming off a win over the Lions. They're 7-6. and six. You look at the schedule, they've got some tough games coming up. So getting into the playoffs, they're, they're going to have a tough time getting to the postseason in general. But if they can, 
This is a team that can run the football. They've got Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, their rookie out of North Carolina, a one-two punch. The offensive line's gotten better. They just got Garrett Bowles back from injured reserve a few weeks ago, one of the better tackles in the AFC, so that's going to just make their run game that much better. They've got some weapons on the outside. Cortland Sutton's come back from his ACL injuries, playing great football. Teddy Bridgewater is kind of the wild card here. He's had some good games this year. He's had some games where his plays ended up costing Denver. If they can get good Teddy Bridgewater down the stretch with the defense that they have, this is a team that could win three out of their last four games, get in the playoffs, and you don't want to play them because of that defense and the fact they can run the football. Those two things travel well. So Denver's a team that I think could make some noise if they get into the playoffs. We'll see if that actually happens or not. And then in the NFC, there's about 10 teams I could list here because there's really only like two teams that have been eliminated at this point. But I'm actually going to say the Philadelphia Eagles because I really like the depth that they've amassed on both sides of the ball. Jalen Hurts, again, another team, quarterback's really the wild card. If Jalen Hurts is playing well, takes care of the football, using his legs as a runner, they've gotten their run game going with Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard behind him. Some of their young receivers are starting to really step up. Uh, they've got an outstanding rookie in Smith, who was the Heisman winner at Alabama. That I don't know how he fell as far as he did, but he's had a pretty good rookie season. And their defense has got some playmakers as well. The defense is probably where I'd have the biggest concerns for them going towards the playoffs. But Philadelphia has been playing better the last month or so. They've got a lot of good young players. they got a new coach that seems to have kind of galvanized this team. So Philadelphia might be a team to keep an eye on that nobody had on the radar even a few weeks ago. And right now they're hovering right around 500 in the NFC. That's going to be good enough to get a playoff spot. So if they're able to win two or three games here down the stretch, they could be one of the wild card teams in the NFC, and their team you might not want to face in the first round. Jay's tweets: What do you think of Jake Curran after these first few games? Here is he better than Brandon Shell? We didn't get to see a lot of Jake Curran early in the season because Brandon Shell, even when he was injured earlier in the year, they went with Jamarco Jones. There was a game that Cedric Abwehi, when he was still in the roster, started at right tackle as well. Curran's gotten some snaps there, but couple observations I've made. I feel like pass protection is definitely the biggest area that he's got to improve moving forward. He's had some issues with speed rushers in particular. He's also had some tough matchups. He got thrown in going against Daniil Hunter in week three and got toasted several times, which Daniil Hunter does that to elite tackles. So an undrafted rookie playing his first significant snaps in the regular season is going to have a very difficult time against him. And I even this weekend, I mean, Jacob Martin – Former Seahawk has a lot of explosiveness off the edge. He beat Kieran a few times. John Grenard has eight sacks this year. So he's a player that can cause some problems a bit more powerful than what Jacob Martin is. Not quite as twitchy, but he held up really well. Three pressures in this game. And overall, I thought did a really nice job protecting Russell Wilson. was one of the reasons they gave up zero sacks in this game. And I thought he flat out railroaded in the run game. He was dominant. And that was a big reason why Rashad Penny had the game that he did. It's funny because Curran didn't necessarily have great blocks on the two touchdown runs that Penny had, but there were a number of other really nice runs in this game where you could see him controlling the line of scrimmage. So that to me is where you see the strengths in his game. And he plays with a lot of confidence. This is a kid that believes in himself. And I think that's a good thing. So I'm not going to go as far as saying he's better than Brandon Shell. This is a kid that's still got a lot of room to grow a, a very raw player being undrafted, but does he have a starter ceiling? I'm starting to buy into it. I could see him being a starter as early as next year. Brandon Shell is a free agent 
this upcoming offseason. I can see the Seahawks handing over the keys to Jake Curran as an undrafted rookie uh, going to his second season saying he's going to be cheaper. We have him under contract for several years. Let's move forward with him. Third question coming from Luke. With a lack of safety and general defensive back depth due to injury, who's a possible practice squad call-up or free agent signing Seattle could explore? So as far as practice squad goes, they've got a few corners, Michael Jackson being one of them, that they could promote if they are concerned about corner depth. But right now, safety is the position that's worrisome because I think Gavin Heslop, again, they put him in for Quandre Diggs because they were trying to get him some experience at the safety position and unfortunately suffers that nasty injury. They don't have a safety on their practice squad. Ugo Amadi is their starting slot corner, but he's right now their reserve free safety. They need help there. So I mentioned it last week to Pete Carroll. He said they've considered Bradley McDougald, who started for three years, an older player, not what he was a few years ago, but he knows your system. That might be the best thing that's out there. Earl Thomas isn't ready to play football right now. You're not going to be bringing him in. Bradley McDougal knows the system and played for the Titans earlier this year. They called him. I think he'd come out in a heartbeat. And it might make fans cringe, but this is the state of the safety market in week 15. <laughs> Tedrick Thompson and Lano Hill are both available. And yes, they struggled in Seattle, but they know the scheme. Those might be the best options that you have right now. That's not what fans want to hear, but that's what's available at this point. You might be able to bring in a young player like Shari Crosswell, who was with him in training camp, is not on a practice squad currently. Who knows what kind of football shape he's in. There's just not a lot of options. I think McDougal would be the one that makes the most sense with not a lot of options on the free agent market. Michael Westgar, do you think Pete Carroll stepping down from only to only one title, either executive vice president or coach, would make a bigger positive difference to the organization. You know, when I look at that, this is a tough scenario to play out because I don't know how much Pete Carroll truly is involved in their personnel decisions. I know he is definitely he's definitely got his hand, but I don't know how much he's involved with the draft. And, and this makes me think about Mike Holmgren when he came in '99. He was the general manager and the head coach by 2002. They stripped him of the general manager title. It just wasn't working. It was too much for him. They wanted him to focus being the coach. And you really saw the team take off after that point. Pete Carroll and John Schneider have had this arrangement since they arrived in 2010, and it has worked really well. But there have been missed draft. There have been mishaps in free agency. Who knows who takes the blunt of the blame there? This truly could be a situation where both Schneider and Carroll are equally to blame for those problems. But it is interesting, the possibility, and maybe that would be enough to improve their drafts and their free agency, just having one voice that's making the decisions. I don't know if that's the right move to make, but I think there's a better chance that something like that happens than Pete Carroll outright retires. He just looks like he's still having too much fun to energize. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens if the Seahawks don't make this run to the postseason, don't win out, and they lose nine or ten games. That's going to be one of the big storylines, what happens with Carroll. But I don't know that him stepping down from a job title is necessarily going to change things because they've had a lot of success with their current arrangement. Lamb TCB, do you think Rashad Penny being good down the stretch earns him a new deal with the Hawks or just makes him trade bait? Well, he's not going to be trade bait because Rashad Penny will not be under contract after this year. So you can't trade a free agent and sign in trades are extremely rare in the NFL, especially with a player that's had the injuries Rashad Penny has had. But I think there's a good chance if he can stay healthy here, that's the key. Can he play like he did yesterday and the week before against San Francisco? Can he play that way 
for the rest of the season and stay healthy. If he can, Seattle's got long-term question marks at running back. Chris Carson is going to have neck surgery. So who knows if he even plays again. Alex Collins has looked okay this year, but he's been banged up. He's going to be a free agent as well. They could still believe Rashad Penny could be that bell cow. He hasn't been healthy enough to make that happen. But I would say a one- or two-year deal, probably a one-year that's got a lot of incentives on it, veteran minimum. I don't think they're going to be spending a lot of money because of his injuries. But he plays like this for a few more games. It definitely will be in consideration for the Seahawks because you're seeing the talent that he has. He's never had talent issues. It's been durability. So that'll be an interesting topic if he plays out these last four games and plays really well. Uh, the Seahawks may be in a position where they're much more excited about the possibility of bringing him back than they might have been, say, two or three weeks ago, considering the injuries that he's had. Blackout tweets, what's up with the Dwayne Eskridge situation? Having a good game against the 49ers. I hope to see him get more involved. He had one target, and it was one he dropped behind the line and resulted in a loss. After that, it seemed like he didn't exist. Thoughts? So here's what I'll say. I was surprised he didn't get more targets yesterday, but you got to look at the way the game played out. The Seahawks did not throw the football near as much as what they have because the run game was working. You had Rashad Penny rolling those two long touchdown runs. They did not throw the football near as what near as much as what they have. And so there just weren't as many targets to go around. You already got to worry about that with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett getting targeted a bunch in this game. Those two are going to get the bulk of the targets. The tight ends were involved. Will Disley had a couple catches. Gerald Everett had a couple catches. So there's only so many targets to go around. I wouldn't be worried about it. Eskridge still made some plays that really jumped out of this game without the football in his hands. Loved the block that he laid on Rashad Penny's first touchdown run, for example. Those are things coaches get excited about. So they'll want to get the football in his hands more. I was surprised they didn't find ways to do that yesterday. But, but he did some good things. And there just weren't a lot of targets to go around because they just didn't throw the football as much as they have most weeks this season. Orbit reverse. Last question here. What do you think it's going to cost to re-sign Quandre Diggs? Well, if you asked me this before the season, in fact, I think I talked about this several times before the regular season started when there was talk about whether or not he was going to get extended. I was saying $12 million. Right now, I think to re-sign Quandre Diggs, you're going to need to fork up $14 million per year minimum because you look at the players that are getting paid that. Landon Collins right now for Washington – He's really a big linebacker at this point. He's making $14 million per year. Quandary Diggs is a potential all-pro safety this year. Didn't think yesterday was his best game. Not 100%. Didn't get tested, really. But he's had a fantastic year. Four interceptions. He was really good last year. Made the Pro Bowl. The lift he gave Seattle after they traded for him in 2019. How he played down the stretch. He has been a dynamic player for them. He's only 28 I think that he is going to be coveted on the free agent market. So if Seattle wants to keep him, best bet is to pay him before free agency starts. And I think you're going to have to pay significantly more than you would have if you tried to extend him before this season because he just made himself money week in, week out in 2021. So I'm saying $14 million per year minimum. Would I consider doing it? Absolutely. Is that a lot of money at safety? <laughs> Absolutely. But this is a position that's important to Seattle's defense, and, and they need Quandre Diggs. He's been invaluable for this defense since they traded for him. So get it done. But I think it's going to cost a pretty penny to be able to extend him. 
Going to continue talking about yesterday's game. Seahawks beating the Texans by 20 points at NRG Stadium. You guys hear about it all the time. Absolutely love Built Bar. Have them before all of my workouts. A ton of delicious flavors. This holiday season, make sure to grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, high in protein as well. You get the best of both worlds. It's delicious and healthy. Tons of great flavors. Double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie, my personal favorite. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors this holiday season and battle all the holiday shoppers. Or if you're standing in endless shopping lines, Built Bar can give you that extra something to keep you going. So throw one in your jacket or purse. You never know when you're going to need it. Because of the season of peace and love, don't forget to bring your favorite Built Bar flavor to family parties. People are so passionate about their favorite flavor, they'll fight for it and things could get out of hand. Want to cozy up with something warm? Here's a holiday secret. Dip your Built Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa, let it melt a little, and give your beverage a bit of that Built Bar flavor. Plus, you'll have a nice melty Built Bar to go with it. Be sure to have a couple napkins on hand. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's Built.com and the promo code LOCKED15. Bet Online has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues to march towards the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's the promo code locked on to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. The Seahawks winning their second consecutive game for the first time this season, beating the Texans 33-13 in Houston. A game that didn't necessarily start the way the Seahawks fans hoped it would. Obviously, going into this game, the Texans were 2-10. and 10. They had the worst offense in the NFL six different times where they had scored nine or fewer points. And then they marched right down the field on their first drive. Davis Mills throws a touchdown to tight end Brevin Jordan, rookie to rookie. And the Seahawks are on their heels. They were losing 7-3 at the end of the first quarter. Davis Mills completed each of his first 14 pass attempts. So basically the Seahawks, they continue to have their issues with backup quarterbacks. Everybody saw what Colt McCoy did a few weeks ago for the Cardinals throwing for 328 yards. Davis Mills threw for over 300 yards. But after that red hot start completing his first 14 passes, he went six for his next 16. So the defense was really able to turn things around in the second half. Second week in a row that the defense pitches a shutout in the second half, granted against an offense that has not many weapons, a struggling offensive line, an unproven rookie quarterback. But still, they held him to zero points in the second half, were able to pull away in the fourth quarter. So they got the job done. Not necessarily as comfortable as a win as some people were hoping. Maybe the scoreboard suggests it was, but this really was a tight game until the fourth quarter and the Texans were hanging tough. The Seahawks found a way late to pull away. But looking at the offense side of the football, you got to start with number 20. Who is this number 20 character? Rashad Penny coming off a, a solid game, not a great game, but a solid game against the 49ers the week before where he had 35 rushing yards, had a 27-yard reception on a screen, made some nice blocks and pass protection. 
but talk about a career day. Now, going against the number 32 ranked run defense certainly helps, but you could see the explosiveness, the burst, that third and fourth gear that Rashad Penny has that no other running backs in Seattle's roster have. We saw that two years ago. It had been 740 days since Rashad Penny last scored a touchdown. That was in December 2019, pre-COVID-19 pandemic. There was a presidential election, a new president sworn into office during this time. It had been a long time since Rashad Penny scored a touchdown. And he was able to not only break that drought, but score twice yesterday, career day, 137 rushing yards. That's the most by an individual back for the Seahawks since Thomas Rawls did it twice back in 2015. And Penny also became just the second running back in Seahawks history to have two 30-plus yard touchdown runs in the same game. Breaking those runs down, the first one was really exciting because you got to see D. Eskridge with the wham block going across the formation and then Penny rocketed inside that block and then stiff-armed uh, Jordan uh, Justin Reed, the safety for the Texans, stiff-armed to the ground and then takes off. He's gone. And then the second one was maybe even more improbable with the Seahawks up 27-13 looking to ice the game. Rashad Penny ran into Jake Kieran, who was trying to get a reach block, ran into him. Normally when a running back runs into his lineman, that play is pretty much dead there. But Penny was able to bounce outside, and there were several blocks that sprung him. Ethan Posick got a nice reach block, was able to hook the defensive tackle back inside. Gabe Jackson pancaked a linebacker, and Dwayne Brown kicked out the defensive end, made this big seam for Penny, who then broke a couple of tackles and raced 47 yards for the score. Fantastic effort for him. According to True Media, he averaged more than seven yards after contact per carry. So that's an exciting development because really that's been a knock in his game, the ability to break tackles and create after contact. But that was a strength for him yesterday. And he said after the game, that's something that he's really working on. So he was the big X factor for the offense. He was the superstar for the offense yesterday. But I think Tyler Lockett was a close second. And we're used to Tyler Lockett doing big things on the field. Rashad Penny's been hurt so much. We just haven't gotten to see his first round caliber talent very much when he's played. He's been good, but Tyler Lockett beacon of consistency, reliability, and he made some history of his own yesterday, joining hall of famer, Steve Largent as just the second receiver in Seahawks history with three consecutive 1000 yard seasons passed it with a 142 yard effort on just five receptions yesterday. You got to see everything in Tyler Lockett's game. He had a 55 yard touchdown where he blew by the corner and the safety. Russell Wilson drops a perfect rainbow into the bucket. Touchdown at the end of the half. Gives Seattle some momentum. They get the ball back to start the third quarter. You get to see Lockett high point of football playing much bigger than his size would suggest. High points over a defender for his first catch. Goes for 29 yards. His next catch, a 24-yarder. Gets some toe drag swag going on. Somehow contorts his body so he can get both feet down in bounds. Just a fantastic effort. Exquisite is the word to describe Tyler Lockett's skill set. You got to see everything on display yesterday. And another 1,000-yard season, he has been as productive as any receiver in the NFL the last three years. Really, the last three and a half, almost got 1,000 yards back in the 2018 season as well. 
So he's really emerged one of the best receivers in the NFL. Good for him. Really the best week of his career. Walter Payton, man of the year nominee, beginning of the week, and then going out and having a performance like this. And he could have had more yardage. Russell Wilson overthrew a few passes to him in this game as well. So put up some big numbers. And then a shout-out to the offensive line. Rashad Penny's not busting out for 137 rushing yards, averaging almost nine yards per carry without the offensive line opening up holes. Jake Kieran had some really nice blocks in the run game. Gabe Jackson, I mentioned the pancake on Penny's second touchdown. He had a really solid game as a run blocker. Ethan Posick made a handful of nice blocks. Damian Lewis had a really good game coming back from injury. Dwayne Brown, I thought, struggled a little bit in pass protection, but really excelled in the run game. So all five of those guys had key blocks in this game, and they didn't give up a single sack. There was some pressure. Russell Wilson was able to mitigate that by getting outside the pocket, climbing up the pocket. He was able to move around some and make it that those pressures didn't get home. Just one quarterback hit all day long for the Texans. So give the offensive line a lot of credit, especially with an undrafted rookie starting at right tackle. And Jake Kieran, this group did a fantastic job. As far as the defensive side of the football goes, as I mentioned, you start off 14 for 14 for Davis Mills. That is not what the Seahawks wanted to do going in this game. They did not want to make life that easy for a third round pick that has only started six games going into this one, but they did. They made it simple for him. Didn't really make any major adjustments on defense. As Bobby Wagner said, they just executed a lot better. And you could see that after they gave up that first touchdown drive, they had one, one of their field goal drive they gave up. You could see that the defense started to put things together and they got some big stops and Mills went six for his next 16. So the pass defense really tightened things up. Run defense was great all afternoon. 2.5 yards per carry for the Texans. They had seven tackles for a loss. Al Woods, what a game and what a season he's had. Didn't play at all last year. Sat out due to COVID. He's 34 years old. You can't tell that this guy is 34. He's playing like he's in the prime of his career. He's been great all year for the Seahawks. It seemed like he was living in the Texans' backfield yesterday. Had half a sack to go with Rasheem Green as well. So a really good all-around game for him. Bobby Wagner with 15 tackles, just doing what he does. Everybody's so used to him getting double-digit tackles that I think that people just kind of get in a, a, a little bit of a position of complacency where you really just get so used to that greatness that you don't really appreciate it as much as you should. But really good game for Bobby Wagner. Did give up some receptions early in the game, but I thought his coverage was better in the second half. So really the run defense has been great for Almost two months. They have been dominant. You saw them shut down the 49ers the week before. A really good rushing attack. Texans not known for running the ball. They really struggled, but still, to hold them to 63 rushing yards, two and a half yards per carry, a bunch of tackles in the backfield, a big day for Seattle's run defense. I thought the secondary played pretty well again. Sidney Jones, another good game. DJ Reed, another good game. They're going to be tested this next week against the Rams. The one thing that still is jumping out to me, though, that's worrisome, especially when you're getting ready to play a much, much better team in the Rams this next weekend, the pass rush just hasn't been there consistently enough. You did see Daryl Taylor get to the quarterback a couple times yesterday. His second sack was wiped out by a holding penalty in the secondary. He did get to keep one sack, so he was getting after Davis Mills. I thought he had a good game. Got to see a little bit of pressure in the interior from Puna Ford and Al Woods, but other than that, they really had a hard time getting to Davis Mills, and that's one of the reasons that he was so accurate early in the game. He was just sitting back there, no pressure whatsoever, extremely comfortable in the pocket. Even a rookie quarterback, that's a perfect scenario for a rookie quarterback. 
And that's why he was peppering them with that short to intermediate passing game. They just haven't been able to get the pass rush going. And as well as the secondary is playing, if you could just have a more consistent threat with your front four getting after the quarterback, just how much better this defense would be than it already has been as of late. They just haven't been able to put it together. And getting late enough in the season now, got to wonder if they've got the hosses to be able to do it. So that would be my one concern. You're playing a line that was missing Laramie Tunsil. They had some other guys banged up up front. They've got a number of players that have struggled in pass protection this year, and yet it really felt like most of the game that Davis Mills was in control in the pocket and didn't have a lot of pressure on him. Second half, they got a little bit more, but that would be the one thing that jumps out to me. Coming out of this game, it's really been a problem all season for them. The Seahawks still have to try to get figured out. If you can't get pressure on Matt Stafford this next weekend with your front four, you have to rely on blitzing, especially without Jamal Adams. With the receivers they've got, it's going to potentially get out of hand quickly. So they have got to find a way to generate, to manufacture a more consistent pass rush here in these last four games. If they really want to go 4-0 down the stretch and get to 9-8, and maybe get a playoff spot, they need those guys up front to come alive and get after the quarterback. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's AUD. ACY. Coming up on our Tuesday episode, I'll be rejoined by my co-host Rob Rang. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll break down a little bit more in depth some of the things we saw in Sunday's victory over the Texans. And we're going to take a look at the Rams heading into their second matchup between the NFC West rivals coming up on Sunday. And take a look at how the Rams have been playing as of late, including their victory over the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. You won't want to miss it. As always, thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.